Thank you for listening to this Podcast One Sportsnet production, available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. The big game is around the corner and the teams are just about set. So check out the Rich Eisen Show on Podcast One Sportsnet as the legendary sportscaster analyzes the plays and predicts what will happen on February 3rd. Download the Rich Eisen Show every weekday on Podcast One Sportsnet or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Welcome to Real GM Radio. I am Danny Lurie, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. This felt like a great time to revisit the NBA tiers and bring on Matt Moore, who has been my tiers guest for this season, trying something different, mostly because the two of us just really enjoy doing this podcast together. And we have the biggest differences of opinion this time around, which is interesting now that we're you know more than halfway through the season. We're seeing things a little bit differently than each other. And Lots of great stuff here. It's brought to you by a new sponsor, Peter Millar. You can go to PeterMillar, M-I-L-L-A-R.com slash RealGM for free shipping and a free hat. BetOnline.ag. You can use the promo Big Game for an awesome promotion that you can hear about during the show. And TrueCar, great place to buy new and used cars and sell or trade in your car. This episode runs about an hour 20. I'm really happy with it. A lot of a lot of fun material here. Substance on the Warriors on the top of both conferences and then, you know, getting into the playoff pictures in each of them and how the, the playoff picture in the East and the West are different in terms of team quality, which I really enjoyed as well. Hope you like it too. Thanks so much for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me, man. I love coming on this pod with you. Yeah, I, I've enjoyed the exercise of doing these with the same person because it especially because we've used the same rubric every time because we get it can kind of get into what's changed and what hasn't and don't have to deal as much with the you know that we all have different opinions and that's part of what makes this fun but it also I, I think that it's been good for calibration and on the theme of kind of continuation I think the place to start is the question that I believe each of the last two podcasts has started with which is are the Golden State Warriors in a tier by themselves they are of course in a tier by themselves they just laid down a 51-point quarter versus the Nuggets, and then turned around and set a record uh, beating the Pelicans while Curry went absolutely ballistic on a back-to-back. Like, the, the, you know, I'm writing about this over at Action. I want to get your thoughts as somebody that's been closer to the team. Um, I don't necessarily believe that they're sending a message. I don't believe that's how they operate. I don't think they care enough about the regular season ever at any point. Like the only exceptions are when they have an emotional investment against the team. Like when they were beating the Clippers when it was Blake and CP3 um, a couple of years ago, like they they were personally invested in embarrassing that team. That was evident. Um, the first games back in versus OKC in Durant's first season in Golden State, that 2017 season, they were personally invested in embarrassing Russ. But since then, like, my opinion has been, and I, I hold this, I was, I got into some fierce debates the other night with Nuggets writers because they were like, look at how they played. They clearly were locked in. And I was like, I get why you say that. Except that I think if they came out and they just, like, the shots weren't falling and it was like, oh, this is going to be hard. They just would have settled in and had, like, a normal game. They probably would have won because they're better, but they wouldn't have, like, laid the beat down. They get up, I think, when they play the first couple minutes of a game and they realize, like, oh, it's working tonight. Like, we've got it. We've got it tonight. And when they do that, then they're like, all right, let's go out and embarrass this team. And they still enjoy, I think, embarrassing teams, uh, especially good teams. But they also do this versus bad teams. I think it's one of the reasons they run up the score so much on bad teams. Like, I compare the, the Warriors a lot to the Spurs in that, like, the Spurs, when they were really great, 
they wouldn't absolutely annihilate like the uh, you know this year's Bulls if they played them. They wouldn't annihilate that team by like forty because the, the Spurs would be like, what's the point? Like, what's you know what what does this really prove? What what does this actually say? Why do we need to invest ourselves in this? Like, we know we're better than them. But the Warriors, like, if they get the Bulls, they're like, hey, let's see if we can put up two hundred on them. Like, that's how they operate. And I think a lot of it just depends on if they have it on a given night. Or do you think that they actually are like, let's let everybody know that we're still in charge, even though everybody's like the Warriors are clearly still in charge. You're basically right. The the calibrator for the Warriors on if they care specifically about an opponent is when and if they engage on defense in the first quarter. If they care about an opponent beating them, there are a few of those, you know, you brought up the the those Thunder teams are certainly one of them. The Clippers in the CP3 Blake year is actually probably the best example. Those games, they're, they start hot. They start ready to defend. They start there. And, and you know, maybe it's, maybe it's going to turn in different circumstances and all that. But outside of those circum- those games, you don't really see it that often. And I did not see that in the Nuggets game, particularly. And offensively, they're generally going to do their stuff early. And then, as you said, if it works well, then they'll they'll keep it going. And if it doesn't, then maybe they'll they'll flatten out a little bit or do something like that. But yeah, it is it is really offensively, they're just going to do what they're going to do. I don't think they're they're necessarily really gears to it. Maybe they'll have a specific point of emphasis or something like that. But especially because the Warriors, another another thing with that, with their offense, whether it succeeds or it fails, one is just, you know, it's a make or miss league. But then the other part is their turnovers aren't necessarily caught. I, I use the terms forced and unforced actually going to a tennis parallel. And the Warriors do a lot of unforced turnovers. And so I think that's just kind of if they're being active, if the lanes are there and all that kind of stuff. And another reason why their offense can sometimes sing against bad teams is, like, let's say for Chicago, who they've annihilated twice. Chicago doesn't really do much in those passing lanes, so they're not going to make those, the Warriors aren't going to make those bad turnovers as often. And because the Bulls' offense sucks, they could, the Warriors will get out in transition more, and they're a remarkable transition team. Yeah, I think like if you I actually based off of your recommendation, I just went and looked up their first quarter defensive ratings throughout the season. And so like the, their best defensive rating in the first quarter was actually versus Denver and their loss early in the season, but that was a slog. Like Oh yeah, uh, that game was gross. Gross. 80 like the Warriors had an 86.2 offensive rating in that first quarter. Like they like both teams well, were just throwing and, rocks. And, rocks and if at you each remember, other. I believe that was the first time those teams had played in Denver since Denver set that three-point record. And so it was kind uh-huh. of the idea of like, oh look, it's this, you know, Denver's offense against the Warriors and then that first quarter was just like one of the most rock fighty quarters I've ever seen from teams that are actually good on offense obviously I've seen far worse from teams that are bad on offense yeah and like well and it's telling too right in that like both teams at that point were actually struggling shooting like I remember Golden State it was like god we just can't hit shots right now and like they were frustrated and then they went to Phoenix and that made everything better and they were fine after that and Denver was the same way Denver for the first month of the season couldn't really shoot and so that that made sense but then after that it's Chicago Atlanta okay terrible offenses can't compete all right but then you get into the next stretches an 81.5 defensive rating versus milwaukee in their uh i think in the rematch uh was the it's the one that they won the warriors won 
They held them to 81.5. Uh, OKC, they held them to 85.2. Minnesota, a team that has historically given them some trouble, they held them to 85.7. Memphis, a team that they know is going to defend well and also can't score, 88. And then OKC in the loss was 88.5. So you see this trend of like, there are these teams that they are familiar with, that they know what to expect from. They're also like worse on the offensive side, right? Like teams that tend to be outside of the Bucks, teams that are tough teams that the Warriors know, like, look, if we go in and we lock down, they can't win this game. And so that's kind of telling there. So, um, yeah, I, I just didn't think that they really, that there's, I don't think that they're sending a message. I think that they're just able to, they're on such an offensive groove right now that they're able to go out and just be like, you know, let's see what we can do. And it gives them a little bit of energy and, and in a time when it's very hard for them, I think, to care. It's just still very hard for them to care at all about any of these games because they know none of them matter. Like, none of them matter. And that's the best reason, I think, why they should be number one. Like, all the teams below them and the tier that I have them in below, they need to win significant games versus challengers. Like Milwaukee's in the second tier. Milwaukee needs to beat Boston. They need to beat Toronto. They need to beat the Indiana. They need to beat Philly. Like those games matter to them. The Thunder, like the Thunder are 0-2 versus the Nuggets. That's a huge problem. They have met, they have real big issues with Denver. Um, Denver likewise, Denver needs to win those games versus OKC. They need to win the games versus Houston, which they can't. They have games that they, they all those teams have games that they need to prove like we can do this they need to have confidence builders no game matters to the warriors and they can still win them all anyway and we're recording this a day before we see demarcus cousins debut i think the warriors are in tier one even if demarcus cousins does nothing for them the entire year if he ends up being a positive then this goes into a whole nother level and it's kind of hard to speculate on what that's going to be i i was a part of a round table and talked about how Cousins is the best offensive big man that Stephen Curry has ever played with by such an unre- like an insane degree. I mean, the best offensive big man, not counting Durant, even though he's seven feet tall because he doesn't play like a big, is probably David Lee. DeMarcus Cousins, even if he's recovering from uh, from an Achilles, is so much better than David Lee ever was offensively that there are, there is a possibility. I mean, there's also plenty of downside, especially on the defensive end. But, you know, maybe they're just, I mean, they already have number one in offensive rating. Maybe they're just flat out unguardable. Yeah, so this is where it gets into, I have trouble with this because I see this a lot, which is like, they're this good and just think they're going to add this or imagine when this happens yeah. or imagine when, the, and I'm like, that's just not how it works. Like, right. Some pull, some of the parts, all that kind of stuff. So I, I haven't, I've never written about it. It's one of my, my regrets. I got to go back and find it. A couple of years ago, uh, I think it was, it was 16, 17. It was Katie's first year there. I went to Nuggets. I went to the shoot around versus, versus Denver. And I asked Kerr and Curry and Katie the same question in scrums. I asked, can you play a perfect game? And they all had really thoughtful, really interesting answers on it. Um, KD said no. KD's like, no, I don't think you can. Because I think in KD's mind, it's, it's, it's very results-oriented. I think Kerr and Curry um, had the same kind of approach on it, which is, yes, but it doesn't necessarily get reflected in the results. And I think that that first quarter of the night, it was really telling to me that, Kerr, that, that afterwards Kerr said, that's the best I've ever seen, that that was the best performance I've ever seen. Like, Kerr is so reticent to ever be like, okay, yes, this is absolutely the best. Like, Obviously, Curry's the better, best shooter. That's undeniable. But Curry is always like, I've seen so much goodness, greatness from them, and it's hard to parse, and these things are contextual. And after that, he was like asked about that fourth quarter. He's like, it wasn't just the shooting. It was like the way we were moving the ball and the energy we played with and how sharp everything was, the energy that we gave in that first quarter. Because it was like this nexus of everything that 
Kerr wants and what the Warriors are. Like, I think Kerr, Kerr, Kerr carries or cares way less about the shooting performance because he's a coach. He doesn't care. Like, shots go in or they don't, and coaches know that. But it was this symmetry between their unreal shooting as KD's just knocking down everything contested and Clay's hot and Curry's hitting everything, and then the passing and the motion and the movement, everything coming together, that's about, I think, as close as, as you can get. And so with Cousins, um, this is the thing I've been thinking. It's like, oh, man, what if Cousins is good? It's like, oh, they'll beat teams by more? Like, how much better are you really going to get? I mean, could they have a game where they finish with, I guess, I don't, I wish we had an actual way to search this on NBA.com to get their ratings. Um, there may be a mechanism on basketball re- reference, but I would actually like to know what the highest recorded offensive rating for a single game in history is. I would imagine it's somewhere north of 130, right? Like 140-ish sounds about right. Like if you're scoring 1.4 points per possession for a game, that's absurd. Um, could they get to 160? Maybe. Like, maybe they could get to, like, a 160 rate. I just don't think that you're ever going to have a stretch where you can play at, a, at an above 160 rate to approach uh, to approach 200. Like, that's there's a prop right now. Um, I work at Action Network. I just got this information. Caesars is offering a prop right now on will the Warriors score uh, 100 and – is it what, what's the number? It's, I think it's 150. So the question is, like, what about 200? Like, what would you put odds at that the Warriors could score 200 in a game? And the, the odds have to not be insane because of how good they are, but they still have to be a little insane because I just don't think that that's possible. So, like, Cousins to me is the same thing as KD was, just on another scale and a lesser scale. It just increases their margin for error. Like, oh, no, Clay and Curry just could not hit anything tonight. It's 150. And, by the way, the odds are even um, minus 110, minus 110 on yes and no for 100, to score 150. I would take the, I would take the yes on that. Um, but, like, I think Cousins is, is simply going to increase their margin for error. Curry and Clay are off. Up oh, Doesn't matter. You know, KD had 25 and DeMarcus had 20. That's all you need. Um, I'm actually doing some film work on this for Peace We're Running on Action. And just, like, I'm actually trying to imagine it, right? Because a lot of what they're doing now is they're getting loony the ball when they focus in so much on Curry or KD if they, if they trap, hedge, or double. They're getting loony, like, rushing towards the basket to use his athleticism. Is Cousins going to be able to do that? I guess the question then is, all right, will they just give him the ball and let him post up and obliterate guys and then force the double and they have to leave a shooter open? That's kind of the question is like, I think everybody's still going to continue to play them straight up. Like if Cousins is murdering you in the post, you're like, well, at least it's not Curry shooting threes. And it just makes them more impossible to guard. But I think that there is a ceiling on how good they can be, not from a level of how good they are, just from how good basketball can conceptually be in the NBA. So I have an answer for you. Um, the highest, so basketball reference has it since 83, 84. So, I mean, there, there could absolutely, especially considering the, there are some, some teams in the eighties and seventies that could have done it. And also just the wealth of games that occurred before that. But in the last, since 83, 84, the highest offensive rating in a game is 162.8 was the Clippers over the Toronto Raptors, a very, a, a game that like I hadn't even like ever really thought about what, and the Clippers were 61 of 88 from the field. 9 of 22 from 3, and they only turn the ball over 8 times. Now, that's a really high number, but I think the Warriors can get past it. Yeah, so like, let's put the, I guess let's let's go ahead and reevaluate, and let's put the cap at like 180, right? Let's put the cap at like 180, 1.8. Well, so, so as a point of reference, that Warriors-Denver game, that was the highest offensive rating in almost 10 years, and that was 147.4 for the full game. Right. And remember, their starters right. only played 3 quarters. Yeah, I tried to, I, I really, I tried to, to hammer that point when talking to folks in Denver was 
Um, cause there was, there was one young pup who I, who I, I really like and is a good writer. Um, but <laughs> he works hard, but he was like, I'm actually kind of encouraged. Like they're hanging, like they're only down 12. Um, and I was like, yeah, but this is with regular season rotation minutes. Like in a playoff game, this is the, you know, Curry and KD are playing 20 of 24 minutes here. Um, or at least, you know, 18 of 24 minutes here. And as opposed to however much they played in that first half, like, when you just take out the bench for Golden State, that's one of the things is the Golden State, I mean, look, the strength, the strength in numbers thing used to be really real. In, in 15 and in 16, they really were a team that it was like, man, their starters are amazing, but that bench is really good. Like they had, you know, Barbosa, um, and they had, you know, and obviously Igadala and like Livingston, who had a ph- phenomenal game versus Denver. Um, but now you're just, you look at the drop off and you're like, oof, Quinn Cook. Oof. Okay, you know Jones before he got hurt. Like they, they are their 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 bench is simply not good. It just doesn't need to be anymore because their starters are so incomprehensibly good, and they have so many now that they can stagger. And that's the other thing with with Cousins, right? Is you know going down the stretch, you could play you could play Steph 20, 20 minutes over the last twenty games, and he's still going to get his points because he'll be so fresh. He could just go in and light it up. And you can stagger because your second units are, can be anchored around Clay Thompson and DeMarcus Cousins. And the team with Clay Thompson and DeMarcus Cousins in the Eastern Conference is a four seed. Like that's, it's, it's, it's embarrassing how good it is. It's unbelievable. It's incredible. And yeah, like this is a tears podcast. So we should move on because it's like, yes, clearly the Warriors are the number one team. The only other thing I'll mention, I've focused a lot on the Curry Durant stagger this year and what Cousins brings is an ability to do the, to keep those guys together and not die a horrible death in the other minutes. And granted, those guys are so good together that you could survive that. I like when I ran the numbers based on the absence that I'm going to write a piece on this, it actually was mathematically better to, to keep them together, even with the sacrifice. Yep. Than, than what happened with the split. But Cousins fundamentally changes that math. And even if all they do is just score more, even if they're worse defensively, it could do that. Lots, lots more to talk about with Matt Moore, including basically the whole rest of the NBA. But first message from a new sponsor for Real Jam Radio, Peter Millar. And Peter Millar is a brand that I honestly was unfamiliar with before they came on. And then they were nice enough to send me some of their clothes. And Before even talking to them, I was really impressed with the quality of the garments. I got a variety of things, got a dress shirt, got a polo shirt, got some pants. And the first thing I thought when I put it on was this stuff is really well made. The color is actually great. The fit, the comfort, those things are all really strong. And I have pretty specific tastes for clothing and was really impressed with that batch that I had, I had no input in. All I did was give them my sizes. I'm like, oh, this is all stuff that I really like. And then it wasn't a surprise when I talked with them about how they partner with the most skilled craftsmen and artisans in the world. And they're very detail oriented using great quality materials. And then the best practices that you can get in these as well. And that's how you create amazing quality material that also looks great. That is versatile and versatility is something that I really like in clothing so you can wear it in different settings and that it's comfortable and that it it's durable and I've now been wearing my Peter Millar stuff for a few weeks now and I'm consistently impressed with all of those things as well so you should definitely check it out the way you do that is you go to petermillar.com slash real gm you can experience it for yourself you get free shipping and a free hat if you go there through the link and again that is petermillar m-i-l-l-a-r dot com slash real gm 
And again, you get complimentary shipping and a free hat. I've been really impressed with their material. I wish I knew more about them earlier because it would it would have been a bigger part of my wardrobe throughout my 20s and, of course, now in my early 30s. And I think you'll really enjoy it as well. One more time, Peter Millar, M-I-L-L-A-R dot com slash real GM. So moving on, I think that the, the, the way that I differentiated the next group was on basically if they have a reasonable case to to win a championship or you know to be in that mix or a plausible case and so it's about kind of you could say it's about how much i trust them or just just the, the severity of their strengths and the severity of their weaknesses and i'll be interested in your reaction so i drew i think that you and i will probably have pretty similar teams in these two tiers it's just where we draw the line so where i drew the line my my tier two is just three teams it's the raptors the bucks and the celtics hmm. and then my tier three is a bunch it's the sixers the rockets the pacers the nuggets the thunder the jazz and the lakers not in any particular order i mean a little bit you know like i thought about it a little bit but it's more like okay for me the idea was the raptors bucks and celtics have clearer cases to me so the raptors i think that their playoff personnel they have a lot of great they have a really high defensive ceiling they have a dominant isolation scorer in Kawhi Leonard. I mean, I am concerned about Kyle Lowry in the playoffs and all that kind of stuff. The Bucks have been the best team in the league overall this year. And maybe, maybe some of that can just continue. They also did house the Warriors at Oracle. There were some absences in that game, but they still were awesome. And I mean, I, I think that might be the best win of the year still for me. And then the Celtics, they were the hardest for me. I think they kind of defined the separation. And the reason why I had them up is because I'm a believer in their defense and Kyrie Irving is just insane. I mean, we saw that on Wednesday night when he just went off. And so that's where I drew it. And then the other teams, they're all good. I think they, you know, if they, if they hit their stride, they could be really dangerous teams. They could at least, you know, they could take the Warriors to like six, maybe seven, but I wouldn't expect that to be the outcome. Yeah, so I, I'm excited because I think in the the first two pods that we did, we were we were largely in line, and I think that we have some very big differentials um, now that we're into this point of the season, which I think is good and exciting. So my tier two is defined by uh, teams that I think are serious that should hold out a serious hope of reaching the NBA Finals. Um, like that can vary. It's just not incomprehensible. I'm not willing to just be like no. Like, this is not happening. Uh, the teams on the back end of this, I'm like, it's very unlikely. But I'm still with you. And there are some differentials here. Um, did you have the Rockets in Tier 2? I did not. I have them at the top of Tier 3. Okay. But you had the Sixers in Tier three, in tier 2. I did not. They're at the top. Of, they're in Tier 3. No, top. my Tier 2 is just three teams. It's the... That's right. Yeah. Okay. It's the Raptors, Bucks, and Celtics. Basically, everybody else who's good is in Tier 3. Right. Um, so my Tier 2, if you're going to talk about, like, um, how did you define it? Plausible? Chance is that what is that I, did, you, I did reasonable as as reasonable, reasonable right. and then plausible is the is the next one down. So I have a much harder cut. My thing is I kind of I expanded reasonable. I think there's a wider range of teams with a reasonable chance of the title. Uh, and then a and then I don't believe that any like there's nothing below that. Like everything else, everything else is implausible. But my 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 gap is higher. So I have I have what I have six teams in reasonable chance. Okay, this is despite how good how good Golden State is, and I can explain why. Um, the list is the Thunder, the Bucks, the Celtics, the Nuggets, the Raptors, the Pacers. Those are the six teams that I look at and say, you know what? Like this team could really do it. They could, they could really do it. And so we've got, um, we've got your Celtics and the Raptors, uh, and the Bucks. All three of those teams are in this tier. Uh, and there's two West teams, 
with the Thunder and Nuggets, and then one more East team with the Pacers. I think it's fascinating that I've got six. I've got six teams in the reasonable chance to win a title, and four of them come from the Eastern Conference, which tells you like about the matchups and about like the path to get there, et cetera, et cetera, and how close those teams are. Um, well, that gets into something I'll bring, I'll bring up quickly. There is a very good argument to be made that so far this season, four of the five best teams in the NBA are in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, that's wild. That's you, could even, you could even make an argument that it's five out of six, considering how well how well some of these teams have played. And I mean, the Pacers have been great overall this year. Like, you could go, it, it's really insane how, how that split is. I mean, Denver has this strong record, and, and I think they're probably, I would say they've been the best West team outside of the Warriors so far. So you get into where they fit in with some of these teams. But it's, the, the top of the East is strong. Yeah, and like even, so... I have to be careful here because I live in Denver and I cover the team regularly because they're the local team. And I get a lot of accusations of being like a Nuggets fan. I get a lot of like, well, you're like the number one Jokic fan, which is hilarious because I was such a skeptic of him for so long. And I'm like, no, I'm just like, I'm here. So I'm writing about it. Um, I see very serious. I almost dipped the Nuggets into um, tier five. Um, no, not tier, tier four, which I'll wow. explain in a second. Yeah. Um, based off of what happened to them. That's weird because tier three, I'll explain in a second. Um, but, uh, I try and remember that this team still has the capacity. So here, here's what I think is interesting with Denver. I'll talk about Denver and then I'll talk about OKC. Um, Denver, I think right now is at the same place that the Atlanta 2015 team and the pace and the Pacers 2014 team were at. They had done all of this. They had beaten, like, here's, here's the thing you said, like, they're the best team outside of the Warriors. They, the Warriors are a better team, but if we want to talk about resumes, despite Golden State doing that to Denver the other night, Denver has a better resume. Denver's beaten Golden State. They're one and one. Denver's beaten Milwaukee. Or I'm sorry, they haven't lost to beat Milwaukee, but they beat Toronto. They beat Boston. They beat the Lakers. They have, they have a better win profile than the Warriors because as we talked about, the Warriors don't care. Like the Warriors don't have to have a good win profile, but you have to credit Denver for having done that. Um, Denver has the capacity and we see it in little flashes to get back to the defense that they played for the first two months of the season that fell off a cliff. If they find a way to get back to that point, that fundamentally changes things. The other thing is, and this is like real under the radar, for the first time this season in the last two days since the end of the Warriors game, Michael Malone has mentioned two significant names. He's mentioned actually on his own, unprompted, Isaiah Thomas and Michael Porter Jr. He has mentioned those two guys. And when you get a little bit better in Kieras, now those guys aren't going to make the defense better, but you're, they still, like they were without Gary Harris for that Warriors game, which wasn't going to make any difference. The Warriors were still going to pound them, but Clay Thompson got their offense going and Gary Harris, despite his size differential, does a really good job on Clay Thompson because he's had to play him so much and he's just, he's had that assignment so often. Harris has figured out ways to at least be like, okay, I know what he wants to get to, and it's just a matter of whether he can get there or not. Um, Denver, I think, still has the capacity to beat a lot of teams. They are vulnerable in certain key matchups in the West. Like, if they get Houston, it's over. Houston, who is not in this tier, mind you, can absolutely just roll over Denver in five games. 100% can roll over them because the matchup is a nightmare for them. Denver has a lot of matchups where it's just like, ooh, that's tough. But there are a lot of other matchups in the West where I'm like, no, they can get there. And then the question for Denver becomes not just like, all right, look, they've played Golden State pretty well historically. They got whooped the other night, but I'm not going to overreact to that one game. The second thing is I don't think Golden State will take them seriously enough. 
And so that gives Denver an opportunity to sneak in there and be like, oh, all right, they took two games, they won a coin flip third, and now you're in the same place as Houston, where I don't think Golden State took Houston seriously last year either, even up until game seven, and yet Houston could have won that series, and the Warriors would have just been like, I didn't think they could do it. So that's like a reasonable chance of doing it. OKC has to be included just because OKC is is all in on, we're just going to slog this out. We're just going to make this hard, and the Warriors don't want to do that. They don't want to deal with how hard it is. They've had problems with Adams since 2016. Paul George is a, is a problem independently. Russ is like the biggest liability because he's likely to shoot you out of it. But Russ is showing signs this year of being more differential or deferential. So if they're able to, to get one shooter at the deadline, just one friggin' shooter, I think Thunder has a reasonable chain, chance. And then you have the Bucks, you have the Celtics, and you have the Raptors, all whom have proved have proven they can beat one another. Like even after last night, I think the, the Celtics have a slight edge versus Toronto, and they have a slight edge versus Milwaukee. We thought that coming into the season, that's slowly starting to take shape, but. With how good Milwaukee and Toronto are, if you told me that they beat Boston, I wouldn't be shocked. And Indiana deserves to be in that conversation. Like, they deserve to be there. They're good on both sides of the ball. They have the talent. They have the depth. They're a smart team. They belong in that conversation. So that rounds out my tier two. Yeah, I mean, based on what they've done this season, it is completely fair to have the Pacers in that tier. I mean, they're they're third in cleaning the glasses net rating. Their defense has been fantastic. Remember that they also spend an ex- extended period of time without their best player. So, you know, that's, that's another consideration here is how representative is your sample? I mean, it's a very reasonable chance that Victor Oladipo will play more the rest of this a higher proportion the rest of the season than he did in what they've already done so far and they have a lot of depth so they can withstand I mean they Turner just missed I think it was five games with that shoulder issue Sabonis has missed some time then they have a bunch of different point guards so they can do that yeah the Pacers are fascinating and I think it's it's so strange how their rep shifts based on last year's playoffs because it's weird like they gave Cleveland a better series than anyone else did but they didn't make it out of the first round and there is a very reasonable argument to make that Indiana should have won that series like that they that they they easily could have and there's an argument to make that they should have because Cleveland just didn't really have it at that point and they, they did get Cleveland did get better and they were so confident against the Raptors so you go okay well you take that from it this is a largely similar team though they I think their bench is better overall especially with those some of those guys getting empowered and everything else and yeah i i I think that that they deserve it for me it's just i i think i don't trust oladipo as much as i trust Kawhi and Kyrie in particular and then Giannis is is his own thing but yeah I mean I had this the Sixers and the Pacers to me is a it's not only a fascinating potential series which I think is a pretty likely one just based on how this is shaking out but I mean both of those teams are just enigmatic fascinating and like they have clear positives and negatives and I don't think I have a good enough sense of how they play against each other to to really say and anyway you don't want to draw a team's place in the tier based on one theoretical opponent because the Pacers have been better than being reduced to being the four or five seed. Right. And I think part of my thing is uh, the Sixers ceiling is higher, but I think their floor is way lower. I think their floor. I think the Sixers' floor is low. Oh, their floor is and, their floor is crazy because they're they're a really talented defensive team, but they're not a consistent defensive team. And right. then their their offense is bananas, like variance. You know, because they yeah. they don't have a lot of shooters. They you know you can you can put a lot you can put a lot on their guys, and then it's 
Yeah, I mean, and, and their bench is inconsistent too. Like they're one of those one of those weird teams that's like you could just see you could see their starters outperform another team by fifteen in game. You could see their bench do it, but you could see it go the other way too. Yeah, which is why I give the Pacers the edge there because the Pacers I feel like are a team that I'm, I'm like no, I know what I'm getting. Like they're going to play you tough. They're going to play you smart. They're not going to take enough threes, but they're going to be pretty. They, but they're going to be tough. So is um, it is it fair to say that the Pacers are just a better version of the Trailblazers in that sense, where you you know what you're getting, but I just think the Pacers defense is more consistent and better, so that just moves them up it kind of moves them up a couple tiers right and the con- and the conference thing is big here too right sure. like if if the pacers had to go through the western conference i would be like ooh, i don't know if you can beat all those matchups i don't know because yeah, they'd have through. to win three series against good teams mm-hmm. you know that's right sort of right and then uh and and just the specific matchups in in specific you know in particular i think are, are difficult um versus like you know if you put the Blazers, I think the Blazers are probably in the Pacers spot in the East. So that's that's a pretty good comp, which is interesting because I have the Blazers way lower because I do know, like, I just don't think this team's going to be able to beat any of the good good West teams. Like, I just don't buy that. I don't think that that's capable. I will say I think um, I have a little bit more trust in Indiana as a great defensive team than I do as Portland. I'm not sure off the top of my head where Portland's at in defensive breaking. But, they're, they're, uh, not, they're not great. And, and so Port- they're 16th right now, and Indiana's third. So that's yeah. a pretty significant difference. And there's also uh, – so – I went into this on a 15 and 60 a little bit ago. Portland has had three years under Terry Stotts where they had really strong defensive ratings. Then every other year they've been half or bottom half. You know, maybe they've been strong within the bottom half, but, you know, still in the bottom half. And they have a lot of variance in terms of opponent shot success. And I think a lot of that is because they so zealously defend the rim and concede mid-rangers. It's kind of like whether those mid-rangers go in or not. Is, right. is, is a big part of, of what happens. And that's also part of why I don't like the Blazers as a playoff team because the best teams have guys that can hit those shots. You know, like when you face the Warriors, if you're conceding mid-range shots, great. Those are going to Kevin Durant, Stephen Curry, you know, those types of guys. They're going to hit those shots. And granted, losing to the Warriors in the second round, is, is no. there's no shame in that. I mean, if that's where they've done that before, it might happen again, depending on where Portland ends up in the seeding. But yeah, I think that that's a part of it as well. So I'm trying to think, I think the other point that we can discuss here that I think will be interesting is where, so, so where are so the teams that you had in tier two that I did not, the, the, the Nuggets were one, we already talked about them. The Pacers were one. And then who was the third? Was it, was it, no, it wasn't the Sixers for sure. Oh, it was the Thunder. Mm-hmm. So yeah. my issue with the Thunder who are, I, I didn't really order my tier three, but they're later on in it, I think, than most people would have it, is because Ooh. I don't think they're a particularly hard team to defend. And mm-hmm. they, you know, sure, you can make the point that this year they don't have Carmelo Anthony, so that that would be an advantage. Billy Donovan, you know, th- this idea, and I've written about this before when back when Don Nelson coached the Warriors, about how sometimes not being able to play a bad player is actually a huge positive for a team. Yeah. But the problem with OKC is that they have a lot of low usage guys that can't really scale. And that so basically what that means is that the consequences of leaving them to stop their primary options are not as severe. Yeah, mm-hmm. there might be a, day, a game when Terrence Ferguson goes off. There might be a game when Jeremy Grant goes off. And I like those guys as players. I would like them a lot more on different teams, incidentally, because they wouldn't be a hat on a hat. They would just be a hat. But I think that that fundamental limitation, for example, like their crunch time offense, I think is going to be 
rough overall. You know, there'll be games when Paul George can be a monster. Steven Adams is a wonderful player. They're also a bad, generally, off the top of my head, I think of them as a bad free throw shooting team, which doesn't help. So my theory with OKC is that their defense is amazing enough that they will win some blowouts and they'll play in a lot of close games, but that against good teams, they will lose a lot of those close games because the other teams just can, they can get a you, good offense can beat great defense. That's just the way it works when you have certain structures. And that's part of the story of the modern NBA. I don't disagree. I think that's a fine analysis. I think part of my thing is um, I don't like to overreact to single season uh, performances and think that that's going to project all the way to the playoffs. I've seen a lot of times where it's like he never did this in the regular season and then he did it. Um, and so part of that is, look, the, the, the Thunder's floor, I think, is a potential 4-5 loss. That's like a that to me is like a reasonable floor for them that they they wind up in the four or five spot and they lose that in a coin flip versus a tough team. Um, part of it is when Russ went wild in 2017 in all of those clutch games, which had a huge impact on his MVP vote. As much as everybody makes it about just the triple doubles, a lot of it was his clutch performances. Talking to voters, I could tell you that was a big part of it. Was they were like he won them games, he made huge shots. Those were big performances on top of monster statistical nights. Um, and then this year, right, his shooting is just like is beyond horrendous. Like no matter how bad you think Russell Westbrook is, his shooting this year has been below that. No matter how bad you think it is, it's been worse than that. Um, and there's going to be a lot of thought that's just like, well, that's just who he is. And my thing is, that's who Russ sometimes is. That's who Russ often is. It's a really good point with Russ, but the I think one of the biggest problems is that even if he's a better jump shooter than this, the difference between that and, like, what Russ is is not as significant a difference. You know, like... If you well, leave if you leave him I'm, open if you leave him open and he takes those shots because he he will take those shots, then I think you're gonna live you're gonna live with those results if you're a team with a really good offense. You know, yeah, there, there are teams that they can house and they can they can crush and having a better bench. I think Nerlens Noel will actually make a pretty big difference for them in the playoffs, even if he doesn't play that many minutes, just because they'll have another capable defensive piece. Schroeder will help in that element as well. Though I, I this is something that I've been floating in my head the last little bit and I'll, I'll throw down the podcast I really don't like Truder's fit in their closing five and you know presumably mm. if, if Robertson's healthy enough that can be him because the best thing that Dennis Schroeder can do is he can create offense when they don't really have those other guys on the floor when they have those other guys on the floor he doesn't really do a whole heck of a lot and so I, I, right. I would rather go with a, a, a lower usage guy like Terrence Ferguson who knows how to do that and who's a better defender obviously than Schroeder is and I would trust more to hit catch and shoot threes though I, mm-hmm. I haven't checked the numbers between those two guys I believe Ferguson's doing better this year so that maybe that I don't think that that's nearly as severe as the mellow thing where it's just like this guy can't play in the series or anything like that but it's another way that they might end up having a smaller advantage than maybe they could otherwise. The final point I would make about the Lakers or about the Thunder rather is uh, their formula is not to play a normal game with you. Their formula is not to be like, oh, we're going to play like a normal, you know, modern era NBA game, and you know, the offensive rating for good playoff teams is going to be in the 108 to 107 range, and you know, whoever can make more shots, and we're going to think that we can we can get enough stops at the. Their thing is, we're going to make this a rock fight. We're going to ugly this up as much as possible. It's going to be an absolute slog. It's be painful. It's going to be ugly. It's going to be dispiriting. And at the end, we're going to make more plays than you. Um, If you believe that they can't, then it's fine to, to doubt them. Uh, and look, it's, if you ask me like, well, can they really do that versus the Warriors? And it's like, 
No, probably not. But if you if you tell me like, is there a chance? Then yeah, which is why I included them in that tier. Uh, I want to go quickly to uh, my tier three. My yeah. tier three, my tier three, Danny is one team. It's one team. It's the Los Angeles Lakers. The basically the who the hell knows kind of idea. Uh, it's ba- it, I, I would label it as were it not for LeBron. That's it. Because if if you just tell me if you just if you just say look at this team lo- say LeBron's great what about the team then my answer is like this team's gonna get busted in the first round they can't shoot they can't they can't really defend versus high level opponents they're easily schemable because of all their weaknesses they're not dynamic they're not exceptionally well coached even if I think that Luke Walton is getting an unfair share of the blame um, they don't have guys that I trust to consistently produce in a playoff environment. I don't love their chemistry. I don't like, uh, you know, their, their, uh, the spirit that they play with. All of these things are bad. But if you told me that the Nuggets slide to four and the Lakers get to five when LeBron gets back, I'm probably picking the Lakers because I just don't know who's going to stop him on Denver. I just don't think anybody can. If you tell me that it's, it's, it's the Thunder who I just went through all these reasons they're good, that the Thunder wind up in the, in a four, five or three, six versus the Lakers. I don't know that they can beat LeBron. I don't know that Houston in a two in a in a two seven three six four five matchup versus LeBron. I don't know that they can beat him because that's how that's how singularly impressive he is and how much better he makes absolutely everybody on the team. He just makes everybody that much better. The reason that they're in a tier on their own is because the one if you're like how like who can really beat this team 100 percent it's the Warriors the Warriors are never losing to the Lakers they are never ever ever losing the Lakers the Lakers can make here's the difference between two and three it's tier two and three tier two can make a Western Conference Finals or a Finals and they can beat the Warriors I can conceivably see it it's very unlikely we're talking five to ten percent maybe fifteen percent percent chance of this happening which is still really low like fifteen percent seems high given how good Golden State is but we extrapolate these things like an eighty five percent chance Golden State wins but versus the Lakers, I think it's a hundred percent. I don't care what happened on Christmas. It is a hundred percent chance that the Lakers, that the Warriors beat the Lakers. I don't care who gets injured. Steph can get injured. They're still going to beat the Lakers. KD, Demarcus Cousins, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green. Don't care. They will beat the Lakers. They have more offense, better defense. They are better on both sides of the ball. But the Lakers have LeBron. They could beat everybody else. The Warriors also, due to necessity over the past couple of years, have a bunch of different guys they can throw on LeBron James. Most other right. teams do not have that. Right. And so they, they were built to, you know, the Warriors, they weren't built to beat the Cavs, but it was it, it was a design element of them to have those kind of guys. And the Lakers aren't the same team, but they still have the same focal point. Something that, that just is, is a great, I, I think this is a great stat to kind of go at your idea. This season, despite all of their flaws and, and the way the season started, remember they couldn't defend anybody, the Lakers have a, a plus 4.3 net rating when LeBron James is on the floor. That is exactly the same as the Utah Jazz, who have the third best net rating in the Western Conference. <laughs> so basically, and if you think LeBron basically plays all of every playoff game, and that the Lakers are better, I would say overall, they are better than they are in that sample, and they might get buyout guys, we don't know how that's going to go. There's a good argument, and the, the only team above that is Oklahoma City, and I've talked about my misgivings in the playoffs with them. So yeah, I I actually that's part of why my tier three is so the Lakers are a big reason why my tier three is so big is that I didn't feel comfortable 
putting any other West team in a separate tier from the Lakers because I'm just sitting there going, well, yeah, I mean, I, I, the series I really don't want to see, even though it'd be intellectually compelling is Rockets Lakers. It just, it just feels like it would, it would just go in some weird directions though. Yeah. The Rockets would actually, I think, end up defending the Lakers well, because something Houston deserves a lot of credit for is that they are the best team in the West at realizing who's not going to kill them and just not defending those guys. It's part of how they defended the Warriors really well in that right. Western Conference Finals. The Lakers are an amazing team to do that strategy against because they have yep. all these guys who can hit some shots but aren't going to beat you. And right. so they'll just like throw four guys in the lane and say, okay, LeBron, have fun with this. And yep. I, I, But I don't want to see that series because it would be gross. And it so, so gross. So, I, I, I'm, so gross. I'm kind of leaning into that series not happening. How, whatever the bracket has to be, I will throw my body in front of that series at least in the first <laughs> at least in the first round second round you know if it happens it happens that's so be it still a lot to discuss with matt moore but a message from our friends at betonline.ag 2019 is starting off in a very big way thanks to betonline.ag the exclusive partner of podcast one sportsnet if you didn't love your gifts for the holiday season how does an all expenses paid ticket to the big game sound round trip flight hotel vip tailgate party and tickets to the big game for you and a guest in atlanta you heard right, a once-in-a-lifetime all-expenses trip to the NFL's biggest game of the year in Atlanta for two people is happening. How do you enter? Simple. You go to betonline.ag, sign up for a betonline.ag account, and use the promo code BIGGAME. Enter in the contest. Our exclusive partners at betonline.ag have the golden tickets, so don't miss out. This is a promotion that ends January 28th. Visit betonline.ag today for all the details and use that promo code BIGGAME. You also have a message from our friends at TrueCar. Every car comes with its share of stories. That ding in your bumper when you nervously picked up a first date, the luxury package you got after a big promotion, or the mileage you saved by riding your bike all summer. While you cannot put a price tag on your stories, now with TrueCar, you can at least find out what your car is worth when it's time to sell or trade it in. Just go to TrueCar, simply enter your license plate number, and watch how your car's details pop up. Then answer a few questions. Navigation and moonroof? Watch as they bump up your value. High mileage? You already knew it was going to cost you, but now you know how much it dings your wallet so you can plan ahead. Once you're finished, you will get a true cash offer sent in minutes, which you can take to a local certified dealer to cash out or trade in. So, when you are ready to experience a better way to sell or trade in your car, check out TrueCar today true cash offer not available in all states what's your tier four okay so yeah well i'll run through my tier three briefly just to make sure everybody has it so it's basically all the teams that were that were in your tier two that weren't in mine plus the sixers the rock no the rockets were in the rockets actually i'll just do the whole thing sixers rockets pacers nuggets thunder jazz lakers so really for me that's every team that i think has even like an outside shot of winning a championship Mm. that makes sense um so 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 then you get into oh go ahead well, I, I want to transition to, to my four then. Yeah, because they, they seem like they're at least partially in line. Right. So do you have a drop off then to the teams that you're like they do not have a plausible chance? Yeah, but and they're I, like the teams that I'll explain it, that they're good, but I don't think they can win a championship. Right. These are like good. I don't. Th- these are the teams that I think are good. They have no shot at winning a title. Rockets, Jazz, Sixers. This is this is essentially a it's a nice thought, but tier. Um, and like I'm gonna get wait, freak so, out. Wait, so am I correct that you don't have the? So then are the Sixers in your tier below that? No, that's Rockets, Jazz, Sixers. Oh, that's right, that's right. I, yeah. I I must have missed that in my brain. Yeah, so it's Rockets, Jazz, Sixers. These are teams that are undeniably good. Like oh, those are a really good team. No, absolutely. Like, do you think they win a title? No, there's no way they win a title. I'm gonna catch a lot of flack because of of what Harden's doing. 
But this to me looks worse. It looks worse to me when it's like the only reason you're surviving is Harden's going for 50 plus every night. Like, yeah, it, well, I mean, and because the best teams have more personnel to slow him down. I mean, granted, he had a crazy night against the Warriors in a game that they won in overtime. You know, like you, you have all those things in place. But the big reason why I, I don't have the Rockets in Tier 2, and that's a similar argument to what you're going to make here, is that think about how ridiculous their best-case scenario has to be unless they get mm-hmm. some amazing buyout guys. I mean, they have a lot of interesting depth guys, you know, like the Mori forward carousel. You know, maybe there are some guys there that are interesting after they, you know, let Ariza and Mbamute go. Mbamute has had this crazy lost season for the Clippers, and... So maybe they can, maybe the carousel can and get a couple new, get a couple new horses that end up working out well. But I mean, if Chris Paul, Chris Paul has to get to at least, I don't know, like 90% of what he was last year in order for me to take the Rockets really seriously as a title team. And that's, that chance is why I have them in the plausible, but I totally understand what you're getting at. Well, it's just like, um, I mean, James Nunnally was on the floor for them to close that game last night versus the Nets. Like the Daniel House is a huge loss for them with him going back to G League. Think about that. Like, and think about the guys they've had to cycle through. And to, to Maury's credit, he does continue to cycle, right? Like, oh, okay, Michael Carter-Williams didn't work. All right, get him out of here. Let's try something. You know, let's try Austin Rivers. Um, all right, Melo was a disaster, right? He's just not going to play. Okay, Ennis hasn't worked out. All right, we got Daniel House. Okay, all right, we can't agree on a deal with him. Uh, let's go to... Um, you know, let's, let's, let's go to James Nunnally. Like they just keep cycling through and there's always the possibility that they'll pull something out, but Harden's going to get exhausted. He's going to be out of gas again by March. I've chronicled his MVP crusades in 2017 and 2018 and the trend and going back to 16 and 15, honestly, the trend has been consistent. He slows down in March and April because he's out of gas. He's either hurt or he's out of gas. It's extremely hard to keep this up for the entire season. And this is in line with D'Antoni's entire approach, who, again, I love Mike D'Antoni. I love those Suns teams. I love these Rockets teams. Phenomenal coach. I think he's worthy of the Hall of Fame because of what he has done to revolutionize the game. That said, the man too often is like, well, no, they're professionals. They can handle it. He never, ever stops to be like, I've got to have my best guys in their best condition at their best time. It, like He's too focused on trying to like – on every single game. He's a little Tibbs in this manner, which is a crazy comparison to make, but it's true. Like He winds up caring way too much about these games versus – like last night, just be like, all right, you know what? No matter what, if we lose, we lose. I'm keeping Harden on a leash here. I'm keeping Harden at 30 minutes. Like, we should be able to beat Brooklyn. If we can't beat Brooklyn, we can't beat Brooklyn. Like, just take it. Just take that loss. Because Well, especially in this iteration of the team, they're going to have nights that it works and nights that it doesn't. Like, that, yep. it's 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 the Harden show. If if the threes are going in, if he's not getting foul calls, you know, how, however this shakes out, you're going to have those nights. And it, so I see, you know, it's not a parallel because I'm not drawing a similarity. I'm drawing a contrast between D'Antoni and Steve Kerr. So Steve Kerr, as somebody, you know, this is kind of the parallel with you and the Nuggets. Like, I get a lot of Warriors fan stuff because I write about the team a lot because I live here and because they're the best team in the league. Kerr's flaws as a coach are very obvious because it's, you know, like playing Anderson Verichow game seven to the finals, you know, his reliance on certain guys, the everybody has to play and the egalitarian stuff running all the way through, not getting his best players the ball enough in key moments. That is a, it is a flaw. It is, it is for him, but for him it is a feature, not a bug. That is why it is, you know, but the idea of why Kerr is a great coach is because he does so many other things well, instilling a culture, building this system that has allowed these guys to thrive so much more than Mark Jackson's did. And another big strength of Kerr's is understanding the long game because he has a team where he can. 
And so they, they, you know, they're not going to push their guys too hard, even if they're really engaged. They're going to, you know, Steph's going to beat the table a little bit. You're going to get into that circumstance because he understands that this doesn't matter compared to what's coming later. And the 80, you know, the 73 and 9 does affect that. And that I think helped the players buy in. But Kerr was going to do this no matter what. And D'Antoni just, he's not wired that way. He's wired to, I, you know, this is the game that is in front of me. And so he and Harden are a perfect pairing to get Harden MVP awards in the regular season, but they are not a perfect pairing to win a championship. Right. And, you know, I think that is a, it's much less tragic this season than it was last year when yeah. their team was so much better. And so yeah. like for this year, you know, if James Harden went into the year with the idea of like, hey, I'm going to win the MVP, unless they get Trevor Reza on the buyout market, I'm pretty cool with that because they probably weren't going to win a title anyway. Yeah. Um, I and mean, I've got the Jazz in that group. Look, the Jazz are schemable. Like, I'm just, it's, it's nice that they beat a Thunder team that never recovered from Andre Robertson last year and that Ricky Rubio happened to hit some jump shots. That's cute. Great. Good for you. Um, the Jazz are an awesome defensive team. They've got all these awesome metrics. They've got an, an easy schedule. They're going to be a solid mid-tier playoff team. They might be as high as three. Like, their range to me is going to be three to six. I'm just not scared of them. I don't know that any – what team should really be scared of Utah? What team, even OKC, should not be scared of Utah even after last year? Like OKC, if anything, should be like, no, we're better this year. You can't you can't isolate Melo every time. Let's actually see if you can beat us because we think our defense is better than yours. Um, like Rudy Gobert is schemable. You you, you force the switch and then you ta- you attack him on the perimeter. Um, you know, Ricky Rubio is schemable. Make him beat you with jump shots. Like they are just extremely schemable. And Donovan Mitchell is not as good. This team isn't as good as last year. There, you can figure out a plan that over time will consistently like if you stay home on Joe Ingles and you maintain space in the drop to to prevent Rudy Gobert alley oops. The Jazz are just beatable. That doesn't mean that every team will. Like they could make the they could make the conference finals. I think that's plausible. There's no way they're beating the Warriors. I don't think their odds of getting out of the first round are good. I don't think their odds of getting out of the second round are good. I think the Jazz are a really good team. They just they play in a really tough conference with a lot of teams that have personnel to exploit them. Denver's gonna gonna rip them to shreds with movement and with Jokic's ability to to beat mismatches and with their ability to catch guys sleeping. Um, you know, I think OKC is gonna have a better defensive plan this time around versus them i think houston will do the same thing they did to them last year um i I just think that there's like a lot more ways uh there's it's just doesn't seem plausible for for utah to be able to make a serious run even if they make the conference finals um i don't think it'll be all that serious of a run it'll be they beat teams that were better because ricky rubio had a hot streak or whatever and then the sixers um i don't like the matchups for the sixers my thing is if i look at the round robin in the eastern conference between those top five teams the sixers are the ones that i go ooh, i don't think they can beat toronto Ooh, i don't think they can beat milwaukee Ooh, I don't think they can beat Indiana. Ooh, I know they can't beat Boston. Um, and Boston in particular, I just think is a huge impediment to them. Um, they're gonna, they, the Sixers hope for making the finals has to be that Indiana, Milwaukee, or Toronto get matched up with Boston in a second round series and knocks them out. And then, you know, MB goes buck wild versus the, versus the Bucks and the Bucks don't hit their threes. That's gotta be the, the formula for how the Sixers make the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, and there's too many ifs there, I think, for them. So I don't take any of those teams all that seriously. I think Harden, what Harden's doing is amazing. I think that, uh, Rudy Gobert's having a great season as always. Um, I love Donovan Mitchell. I wish he was a little bit more efficient. And I think the Sixers certainly are gonna have some really good playoff wins. In that, uh, within the series, but I don't know how, I don't think any of those teams are legitimate threats. I like grouping the Jazz and the Sixers together because I think they have, at this current iteration of both teams, they have a similar flaw, which is that they don't have many counters. 
both of those teams have a thing that they do well. They're both capable defensively. I mean, the Jazz do it a whole hell of a lot more than the Sixers do. But then offensively, they kind of have a thing. And then if that doesn't work, uh-oh. You know, yeah. like that, 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 that's the way it goes. And I think a lot of it is not scheme-based. I think both, both teams are reasonably well coached. It's just that they have personnel shortcomings. And that's a big part of why there are a series of teams, including the Pacers and the Jazz, that have the possibility, but not the certainty, of a lot of turnover this year. And I want to see Utah turn over the most of those teams because I'm not as interested in what they are right now. You know, if you clear the decks, and even if they end up not getting great players, just getting something that's a little bit more vibrant, a little bit more dynamic, because Rubio, Mitchell, Ingles, Favors or Favors replacement, and Gobert, maybe Jay Crowder if we're going to throw that in there, that's a good team. I'm, I'm, I'm never going to knock that. That's It's kind of like the Blazers, though, where you're good, but they don't have enough they don't have enough angles they don't have enough counters to beat the best teams because when they when they face a, an upgraded talent level when they face those teams that can really get up for it in terms of personnel and effort there just isn't enough there to, to really beat those teams and so that's why I want to see Utah turn it over yeah they need they need they need a wild card yes right they, they, they need, need they two need some... I actually think they need two they need two in case one of them doesn't work they need so, a little bit they need like a little a Lou bit. Williams type of guy mm-hmm. and then oh need, yeah and then they need somebody like so Lou Williams type of guy off the bench, and then they need also like I would say kind of like a wild card starter, like that, that or or a guy who at least has a higher ceiling. Like yeah, like, I think Jay Crowder is kind of supposed to be that, but Jay Crowder is not wild enough to be that. Like you need a no. real, you need you need somebody to inject chaos into that team. That's what they really I think need is is someone to inject some real chaos because otherwise. Yeah, it's just butter and toast. Um, and butter and toast is reliable. And butter and toast, you know what you're getting. And butter and toast is good because it's butter and toast. But in the end, it's not a meal. So, um, well, so what's interesting is I think now we're actually at a pretty similar line between those. So where I have, so the next tier, I originally was actually thinking about having the Blazers in their own tier because I think they're a lot better than these other teams. But at the same point, I was like, well, are they different in ways that matter? And I ended up just keeping them in. So this tier, I called it the best of the rest where they're teams that I do not think have a shot of winning a title, but I still think they're they are or could be good basketball teams. And it's a bigger tier than I thought, partially because I just don't know really where to draw the line. So Portland is the top of this tier. You can make an argument that tier four should just be them. But then the other teams are the Pelicans, the Clippers, the Spurs, the Wolves, and the Heat. The Heat are the borderline for me. I'm fine putting them in the next tier down. But because they have a good defense and they're playing without Dragic now, I'm kind of thinking where they could be in, let's say, late February, early March. Maybe at that point they're a little better. I don't mind that. Um, so mine goes, obviously, if, if I said the Rockets, Jazz, and Sixers have no chance of a title, those are good teams. Uh, these are good teams that it's like, uh, have reasonable expectations. Like, just make the playoffs. Just just make the playoffs, and anything after that is gravy. Like, I think the Rockets, Jazz, and Sixers should have a reasonable hope or expectation of we should win a first-round series. Um, the These teams, I'm like, eh. Just be happy you got there. And it's Blazers, Spurs, Clippers, Mavericks. That's one, two, three, four. That's the, my fifth tier is Blazers, Spurs, Clippers, Mavericks. Those are teams that like – and the Mavericks are, are four games under 500, but I really think that they have a chance to get to um, to get to the playoffs still. I think Doncic is such an X factor for them that they could just get – I think they're maybe a move away. Um, if they could just get there, I think that they can really maybe start to – 
to get to where they need to go to. If they can make maybe one deal to switch some stuff up, whether that's Gasol or whatever else, um, I think that there's there's room there for the Mavericks to be pretty good. I have more faith in the Mavericks being pretty good than the Pelicans, which is shocking considering Anthony Davis and Drew Holiday and their success. But I'm really pretty far out on the Pelicans at this point just based off their win profile and performances. The Spurs, look, the Spurs are just kind of the Spurs again. And they're less Spursy than in years past because some of their performances are based off of do they get a hot shooting night. They have some nights where obviously like the rest of the Thunder, they're just blistering and they're so good. Um, and then there are nights when that's not there. And sometimes the defense is there and sometimes it's not. But they'll hit consistently. The Clippers are the team that like really like, yeah, no, they're not. They they had that nice start to the season and that's nice, but they're still just this team of like oh pretty good guys that would be better on serious contenders. If you broke up the Clippers and you scattered them throughout the league, a lot of teams in the playoff race get better. If you just randomly scattered the the Clippers players throughout all of the other fifteen playoff contending teams in the league, you'd have serious you, you'd have major upgrades across the board. They're all very good players. They just don't have anything special. Um, and then uh, the Blazers. My thing with the Blazers is um, I don't – their ceiling to me feels real low. I just still don't have a lot of nights where it's like – you know they had such a good game versus the, the Thunder the, uh, a couple weeks ago on, on one of the Friday night games. They hung with them. It was back and forth, big shots over and over and over again, and they still couldn't find a way to get it done. And that just feels like what the Blazers are to me is like, is like oh, like they're really admirable, but they just can't get there. The Blazers are kind of the new Grizzlies in a lot of ways. They're just better offensively. Well, and there's a parallel between those two teams because they're I, I, the Blazers to me are the least intellectually interesting good team in the league because we know what they are. Nothing's really changing. There isn't there isn't a way. And like I mean, they had this thing of like, oh, they're they're staggering Damon. They're not staggering Damon CJ. They're playing those guys, and then they have this bench unit that was actually doing well. But it always looked like fool's gold. It was fool's gold because they were they were basically opponents were missing every shot, and then once opponents stopped missing every shot, they're like, oh, this group isn't great. Then they eventually swapped out Stauskas because surprise surprise he wasn't that good. But so the end of this tier was really hard for me, and that's the Wolves in the Heat. Like the Spurs, you know, I, I still don't know what they are, but at least you know they're they've, they've been one of the they've been one of the best offenses in the league since December first, which is inconceivable in many ways because of their shot profile. But they never turn the ball over. They have great guys at making the shots they take. But Minnesota, they're almost as hard to figure out because they had this disastrous start to the season. And they're four and nine chemistry stuff. If you, the team that they have been since then, even if you give them a, a step back because the sample size or whatever else, that's still a pretty good team. Like that's they're competitive. Their personnel makes more sense together in many ways because they added some depth. They added guys that can fill roles, and now defensively they're they're competing. Also, it looks like Carl Towns is more activated defensively, which is great. Really excited about that. And then, so, so like, can I say definitively that minute, that any, like, the Clippers are better than the Wolves now and moving forward? No, absolutely I can't say that. So that's why I have them in this tier. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm down with that. Uh, my next tier is one, two, three, four, five. My sixth tier, uh, and these are teams that are, like, uh, inconsequentially decent. That's a good, that's, that's a better description than mine. Except that I have the bottom of this team, the, the last team in this, I don't consider them decent. But good. Uh, mine includes the Wolves, because I'm just like, sure. Great, great. Derek Rose is shooting 40% from three this year. That's nice. Good for you. Okay. Yeah. Oh, Andrew Wiggins went off for 40. Okay. 
Nito. Oh, you know, like there are pieces of, of Minnesota I really like. I love Tyus Jones. I love Carl Anthony Towns. I love Tosh Gibson. Um, there are pieces of this team I think are really good and, and honestly could help other teams a lot more. Um, but the general, and I like the coaching since the change, since the change, I've been happy with, with Saunders, but like just generally speaking, I just don't know. It's like, okay, I just, anything that's this, that's this reliant on so many pieces where I'm like, no, that's not going to sustain itself. I can't really believe in. Um, the top team I actually have at this is the Nets. 15 and 15 and 8 since December 1st, yep. uh, 15 and 5 since December 7th. They're the top like, of my tier 5 too. They've been great. And, and I'll tell you this, depending, like, look, if they get, if they get a team that isn't offensive really brilliant every night, like if they get the box, that's going to be fine, but it'll be quick. But like if they get Boston with Boston's inconsistency offensively, where they just have nights where they just cannot score, like Brooklyn's whole model of we do two things. We prevent you from shooting threes and we shoot a lot of threes. And that's what we do. Like that mathematical model is going to give some teams that have issues, especially like Indiana, Indiana better hope they don't end up at a three, six versus the Nets. That's a nightmare scenario for Indiana, which is like Indiana can play really well. Crap, the Nets are only down three because they just are outpacing you by like nine three pointers in the first half. Um, like that's a, to me is a very serious danger. Um, it's the Nets, the Heat, who I just, I, whatever, uh, the Kings, who are like, oh, cool story, but whatever, uh, the Wolves, the Pelicans, surprisingly, and the Hornets. I'm just not scared of any of those teams in any capacity. Like the, the team, the, the teams above them, the Blazers, the Spurs, the Clippers, the Mavericks, if you told them that any of them upset the Thunder or Nuggets or Rockets or Lakers, I wouldn't be like, holy crap. I would just be like, oh man, that's a rough beat for those better teams. <laughs> like what a disappointing end of the year. But I'd be like, ah, good for those teams. Well coached, did their jobs. I get it. Um, the Nets, the Heats, the Kings, the Wolves, the Pelicans, the Hornets. If those teams upset the teams above them in that top half of the Eastern Conference, that's a disaster. Like that's a, like those top t- teams are in, like that's a, someone's getting fired or traded. Like that is, oh God, the apocalypse has happened for that team and their fans are just horrified um, because those teams are not good they're just not bad yeah i I think that's certainly a a fair distinction to draw mine is similar i have the mavericks down here i'm fine with your logic i just i don't trust them as much as as the other teams in this group i mean uh, maybe and and there's some recency bias i mean that game against the spurs where it looked like they were so good early and then they just just struggled late you have those those kind of games i so dallas is another team like utah where i would like to see them look really different next year i just yeah I think when with Doncic, when Doncic is your foundation, you can go in a million different directions. And I, I mean, I'm fascinated by the idea of them starting Maxi Kleba at center next year. Like you, yeah. you throw basically throw all of your money into getting one more guy who can create shots, and then just getting a bunch of forwards, just whatever whatever they can do well, just good players. Like that's one way. One is also like. Granted, they're probably not going to keep their pick this year, but, you know, build up a young talent base. Maybe, you know, you try to acquire some assets, you know, you go in that direction. There's just, there's so much you can do with Luka. And because he doesn't have the specific flaws that Ben Simmons does, in it, while I don't think Luka is as good of a player right now as Ben Simmons is, he, A, he could absolutely be there in a year. Like, I'm not doubting that. I mean, I, I love both of those guys. But it, I think it's easier to build a team around Luka, at least offensively, because you don't have this like cataclysmic flaw that you have to deal with when you pick every other player in your team. And so I would love to see them treat this more as an open canvas and they don't really have that many guys under contract so they can do that. So that, but that's kind of an aside, but it's, it's an interesting thing. You and I love talking about team building. So I I thought I'd bring it up. Yeah, I think, I think for sure I'm, I'm with you on that. And then, um, 
Well, so wait. So here. okay. Oh. So I'll go. I'll go through my group, and you can react to the diff. There, there are a couple of differences, but they, they're not really that material. So Nets, Mavs, Grizzlies, Kings, mm-hmm. Hornets, and Pistons. The you, t- you have you have the Grizzlies and Pistons too high. That's that's what I was telling you. Well, I mean, the, but with both of them, it's like, well, you know, they can beat the bad teams. They're going to lose against a lot of the good teams. Like, you know. They can't, though. That's the thing. The Pistons and Grizzlies can't beat those teams. That's why they're actually, in my second to last year, are the Pistons, the Grizzlies, and the Wizards. You know what those teams are? They're teams that I have lower because they're actually more inconsistent. They're so, better so, teams. So you have the Magic in a tier above the Pistons and the, and the Wizards? I'm okay with that. I'm just interested. Um, yeah, I have the Magic in the in the tier with like the Nets, the Heat, the Kings, the Wolves, the Pelicans, and the Hornets. I'm left out the Magic. That, that's, that's who I've got. Um, the Pistons, the Grizzlies, and the Wizards are teams that like they will lose to teams definably worse to, than them like teams that they should have no business losing to and then we'll turn around and like the pistons beat the clippers on a game where they absolutely should have lost partly cuz Blake's revenge game but like they'll do that and then um like the grizzlies will probably like the grizzlies beat the spurs right like just out of nowhere if they just corrected their win profile and just beat the teams that were worse than them if the pistons the grizzlies and the wizards beat the teams that had less talent and weren't as good as them all three of those teams would be solidly in the playoffs and their seasons would be way way better they'd be above 500 and they would be just like oh they're just they'd be in that group where the uh where the, for me where the blazers the spurs the clippers and the mavericks are those teams should be in that tier they should be in there with the blazers the spurs the clippers and the mavericks or you know what they're fine playoff teams. They're not going to go anywhere, but you know they're they're going to hang. Like they're just going to be in there and they're going to hang. They could be pesky, but instead they just they their their issues with consistency prevent them from getting to where they should go. This is wild. I, this is why it's good to look at schedule stuff every once in a while. Washington's last five games are significantly more impressive than I was giving them credit for. Granted, some of those were weird, fluky ones for a bunch of different reasons, with guys being out and everything like that. Lost to Toronto in that crazy double overtime game. Beat Milwaukee. Beat the Sixers, both of those games in DC. Lost to the Sixers in that back, the front end of that back to back when they got annihilated, and then they won that insane game in Oklahoma City where they like, which is one of the worst losses of the season for anybody. So like, but. I watched a fair portion. I watched a lot of that OKC win. I watched a portion of of the Milwaukee win, and I still don't think the Wizards are good. It's crazy. Well, well you, we're making this point. I, I am just checked the score that is currently going on. Yeah, they're losing this. to the Knicks in London. <laughs> they're losing to the Knicks. They're, they're losing to the Knicks in London by ten at half, and it was bigger earlier in the game. Like I, I don't. I don't know. That's the Wizards. That's the Wizards, you know, and like they're going to play a national TV game at home against the Warriors on Thursday. Maybe they maybe they win that game by 10. Maybe they lose it by 50. Like, I genuinely don't know. Yep. They're so frustrating. Okay, we can so we can get to my last groups. So I actually drew a distinction that you didn't, and, and I'm assuming that I'm a rarity for doing so. So I did a better than dregs category where it's 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 kind of on team quality, it's kind of on record. Like the Wizards are in this, not because I think they're so much better than those teams, even though they did win those three games out of their last five, because they can lose to anybody. The Magic, and then the team that might be surprising is the Atlanta Hawks. Like, I think the Hawks are a little bit better than the four worst teams in the league. Mm. And the reason why is because they sh- they've shown a little bit more life after John Collins came back. And I think I, I got to tell you, you know, who I think actually I'm going to quibble with you over. I think you're too low on the magic. Yeah. I mean, there are nights when they've when they've looked pretty good and they put it. Together. I mean, well, I mean, look, let's look at that. Let's look at some numbers here. OK, for sure. for Orlando. They're currently tied for 10th in the Eastern Conference. They're 19 to 25. So not good. Certainly they're one game back of the Pistons uh, in the loss column. Um 
they're four and four in division, which that division is not good. So there's definitely some problems there. And they are 13 and 11 versus the Eastern Conference. Compare that with the Pistons, who are 13 and 16 versus the Eastern Conference. So the Magic are losing to worse teams a lot less consistently. Like that's been a thing with them. Um, if we look at some of the other key numbers that I like want to hone in on and when we're looking at uh, their like win performance. Uh, so the Magic are a respectable 8-9 and nine versus teams under 500. That's not good enough, certainly. Uh, like the Pistons are 12-6. and six. They've been more consistent in that category. But the Magic are 11-16 and 16 versus teams above 500. They are kind of in that mix with the Pistons um, – the group, and I should probably move them actually down in that group of the Pistons, the Grizzlies, and the Wizards, and that they could beat good teams. And we saw that, like they beat the Lakers uh, twice, and I believe both of those were with LeBron. Like that's, I mean, they th- beat they beat Boston and they beat uh-huh. Houston in the last yeah. week. They beat them yeah. over the weekend. Yeah. So like their ceiling. This is my thing with with Orlando. Their ceiling is way higher. They just when they're bad, they're so bad, and they they lose games where it's like, God, if you just won that one, you'd be like, in such better th- shape. That game when they got trucked by the Kings was a great example of that. I mean, it was on the tail end of a back to back, but they just got they just got ruined, and I was so just, if, I was so pissed at them. And so you mentioned the Hawks. Like, here's my thing with the Hawks. Um, you're right that they're better than probably this tier that I have them in, which is the bottom. Like my bottom tier is Cavs, Knicks, Bulls, Suns, Hawks. Okay. Yeah. Just I mean, those teams have the five worst records by a mile and a half. Yeah, they are, like, just the dregs. Uh, the Hawks are at the top of it, and the reason they're not higher, though, is they don't have – we talked about this with the Pistons, the Grizzlies, and the Wizards, them having game-by-game consistency. The Hawks don't have quarter-by-quarter consistently. Like, they put up 45 in the second and fourth on OKC, right? They're capable of that. But then they'll have games where, like, they have 12 in a quarter. There's no consistency – on either side of the floor, quarter by quarter. You know certain things that you're getting from the Pistons, the Grizzlies, and the Wizards game by game. You just don't know that they're going to get enough on the other side to be able to compensate. The Hawks, it's just like, I don't know what I'm getting. I'm just rolling the dice every single time. I'm just, I'm seriously, it's like boggle. Every single time I pop the button, I'm getting a different result. And that's better than the Suns, the Bulls, the Knicks, and the Cavs. Because I know pretty much what I'm getting with those teams. The Knicks are probably at the, probably a little bit closer to the Hawks and the rest of them. But like that's that's kind of how I differentiate the, those teams. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, so part of the reason I had the Hawks above is also, I mean, I talked about the John Collins thing, and and I'm not as big a believer in Collins as as some appear to be. The big issue there is defense. But John Collins does something very important for the Hawks, which is he is so much better than the other guys they played at power forward. And even though I see John Collins eventually as five and all that kind of stuff, they were playing all these guys that like aren't NBA players. And by getting John Collins in, you slide those other guys into more manageable roles. They've had some, I, I, I liked what Daniel Hamilton showed in that Thunder game. They have a lot of guys that I that I kind of like. And remember, they've been doing some of this without Ken Bazemore, who would really help their floor just because he competes and he's a capable player and all that kind of stuff. So you could also make an argument, part of why I think it's totally fair to have the Hawks in that group, is that it's kind of a distinction without a difference. Like, yeah, they are the best of that group, but they're still not, you know, like maybe they're slightly better than that group, but does that difference matter? Not really. I don't think it matters in terms of the way they approach it. The other reason to put the Hawks, so I had them in the group above, and I'm be ready to move them below, is that they can dump some of the guys that are helping them, even if they're not the key pieces, like losing Deadman, losing Lynn, maybe trading Bazemore. Those will make them materially worse. Like, I thought they really were missing Jeremy Lin in the win over the Thunder. They won anyway. But, you know, the, that that quarter by cons- quarter inconsistency is going to get even more extreme if they lose some of those vets. 
Yeah, I agree with that. I think that, that the, like losing, yeah, I, I, I'm with you on that. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I don't think we need to spend a lot of time on the dregs. Here, here's no. one one question we can do with that: Which of these teams has so so? We, I think we'd all argue, we'd all agree that the Suns have the best young core of those group as of now. You know, not counting the guys they could get in the draft because I mean Booker and Aiton are both fascinating talents and, and better than that. But like, so let's say of the Bulls, Knicks, and Cavs. Based solely on the talent they have on their roster right now, who would you most want to be and who would you least want to be, let's say, as a fan or as a general manager? Um, Well, let's say, okay, if I'm going to say the Bulls um, because that means that Gar Pax is no longer running things if I'm running things. That's a fair point. Like, that's... Like that's that's where I'm at. Um, the Knicks look. Uh, I they're never going to be good as long as Dolan's the owner. That's just my belief is they will never be good as long as Dolan's the owner. I'm also not the biggest Kristaps Porzingis guy. I don't think he's necessarily what he's been billed as. I think he's a really good player. Obviously has a lot of potential. We'll see what he looks like after the injury. I'm just not like. Oh my God! You can build a championship team around Kristaps Porzingis. Like no, I don't think that that's I don't think that's true at all. Um, the Cavs are so bereft of talent, and like I've argued about this with Cavs Twitter so much. I just wish they traded Kevin Love. I just so badly wish that they traded Kevin Love. Um, this is the thing I'm, I'm going to be running on this for action for next week about with regards to Memphis. If you're in that spot where it's like up, the run's over, the show's over, it's time to send everybody home. The thing that you need to do is you can't just be like, we're going to trade our best player for assets. That no longer works. But what you can do is you can trade your best player who is has a reasonable end to his contract or still has good value in exchange for dead money that you're not going to use anyway and assets. If you tell a team, I'll give you my best player, but you're going to have to send me future assets, then they're like, no, we need those assets. I don't need the contract. But if you say, we'll take your bad contracts and give you our best player for your future assets, then teams are going to be a lot more receptive to it. Then teams are like, wait, I can get off of this deal and I get an upgrade? Okay, all right, that's a that's a trade-off because then I can win. I can figure out the draft picks later. But you're baking that things won't work out because things often don't work out. And then you go that direction. Like this is the thing that the Grizzlies should be doing with Marcus All is they should be going to teams that have high hopes for free agency. They have like a good team that want to make a splash or upgrade like uh, that are like we want to keep Kemba. Let's go get Marcus All those kind of teams and say, I'll take Batum. I'll take Michael Kidd-Gilchrist. I'll take, you know, go to Orlando and be like, I'll take Bismack Biombo. Like, go to all these teams with mass. Go to the Wizards. Go to the Wizards and say, I will take on Jan Mahimi and give you Marc Gasol. But you have to give me your future assets. Not this year, not next year, but after that. That's what I want. I want your young guys and that. I want Ubre and that. Or Sadoransky or whoever. I want those guys and that. And that's like the, the path that you should have taken. So the Cavs have done that. I would feel better about them. But now it's just like, oh, you have Colin Sexton and maybe you'll have a, you know, Colin Sexton who's not great. And maybe you'll be happy enough to land Zion and waste his, you know, young, young career. Great. So the Bulls, on the other hand, I'm like, okay, look, you're tethered to Levine and that's not great. But Parker's contract expires this year. You do have Markinen. I like some of their other young dudes. I think Portis is a rotation player. I've got some swappable pieces. I have some flexibility. I think there's some some potential there. They have some guys that I think could be good if coached correctly. I will take the bulls of those options. 
I'll take the Knicks because I, I like. I think I like Porzingis a little bit more than you. I'll, I'll quibble a little bit with the Dolan thing. Here's what I'll say: they they will not be great with Dolan as their owner, but I think they could be good because you know if they just get a, a decent signing, you know, hell, maybe Kemba wants to play there. I mean, they could they could be good then. I don't think they'd be a title contender, but they could be the depending on how it all went, they could be the like you know they could be a good a good East playoff team. Like I think that's absolutely absolutely potential there, but I don't see them being great. I mean, teams that dysfunctional very rarely get there, so. We'll, we'll see what happens in a few other situations. But I agree with you totally on Gasol and Kevin Love. And I think what a lot of those teams don't do is they're not honest enough about if if this season doesn't go exactly how we hoped, how happy would we be? Because sure, I mean, the Cavs could have sold themselves. Uh, I, I did a podcast with Joe Varden kind of talking about, you know, like the idea that, oh, they were so bad defensively last year, but they weren't, they didn't play with urgency and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, they, surprise, surprise, they end up still sucking on defense. They're, so the best case scenario didn't happen. And I think with both Memphis and Cleveland, they didn't think enough about that and saying like, okay, well, if, if, if basically everything outside of the, like the best 10% is dispiriting and and that well then maybe we should move on because the chances of getting into that 10 percent is about 10 percent yeah yeah about about 10 percent sounds about right and like you gotta have i think manage you gotta manage your hopes when you're in that kind of situation right unless there's something else you want to discuss i will thank you so much for taking the time hey thanks for having me man i really appreciate it love this pod let's let's do it again by the end of the season thanks again to matt moore you can read his work at the action network and you can follow him on twitter most of you probably already do at hp basketball hp b-a-s-k-e-t-b-a-l-l i know how to spell and really love having him on i'm guessing we'll do this at least one more time during the regular season to just kind of get a get a sense of how we're feeling about these teams and well by then we'll probably have a good sense of the playoff race for those of you who who get this we're not necessarily talking about where they're going to finish in terms of record it's team quality everything like that so that's really what we're getting at in terms of tiers so i heartily enjoy the experience you know blocking it all out we planned this a couple days ago just really thinking about where how i feel about every team and where they're going where they are right now is an experience that i i really do enjoy and if you have any feedback on the show this this episode or any episode good bad or indifferent danny larue nba at gmail.com is the way to do it if it pops in separately i if you take the time to write it i will take the time to read it i'm not always great about responding and i mean that's a big part of why the show is actually it's more lightly edited now because people said it didn't make as much of a difference it makes a big difference in terms of my time if you disagree with that stance let me know as well of course that's what i'm doing is you know canvassing listeners let's say if you want to support the show there are a lot of great ways you can do it you can subscribe you can download every episode those are big things to do for a show like this that comes out on different times on the week you can spread the word however you see fit social media just telling people hey this episode this podcast is great and we're still building and word of mouth is exceedingly important even though the show's been around for a while also you can listen to past episodes a lot of it ages really well incidentally the tears podcast would be interesting from a time capsule perspective but you can go back i mean as far back as you know the first couple episodes i think you'll you find some things if you wanted nate's first podcast appearances on there i want to say that was in the 30s you can go back and you should be able to have access to the full archives let's call it you can also leave a rating leave a review in the podcast wherever you're choosing it's great if it's apple Podcasts. if you want to be amazing if those two things are not the same thing you can leave a review in both your podcast player and apple Podcasts. they're just so big in the business and again that's about helping people find the show so the more common the more positive things we have especially if they're recent the higher we go 
in the rankings and the more people can find the show. The most important thing with this podcast and any other podcast though, is our sponsors. New sponsor, Peter Millar, great, great clothing. I've been super impressed with it. P-E-T-E-R-M-I-L-L-A-R.com slash real GM, free shipping, free hat, check it out betonline.ag been a sponsor for a while great sponsor and the big game promotion that they're doing use creating an account and using that big game promo code it's a pretty awesome offer it's something that i've never experienced before so that's pretty exciting that people are going to get that opportunity and then of course our friends at true car great place to buy new and used car and as you heard in the ad great place to sell or trade in your car. We'll be back next week. I do not have a battle plan yet for what that episode will entail. Still trying to piece that together, but of course there will be one that is Real Jam Radio all of the time. So I'm looking forward to it already. Thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day. Mm-hmm.